The following sermon is a ministry of Hilton Head Presbyterian Church. For more information, visit us online at hiltonheadpca.com. The passage of Scripture that we are looking at this morning comes from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 6. Every preacher has what we may call in our industry a pocket sermon. It's a sermon that we know well. It's sort of right at the heart uh, of the gospel. And when called upon, uh, we can pull that out, or we should be able to pull that out, and to preach it. Maybe without notes, but just to preach it, to know the very crux of the matter. It's happened to me at different times when I've been traveling or even in different churches. And Jesus was the quintessential preacher. He had a pocket sermon. And his pocket sermon was the one that we've been looking at this fall. It's the Sermon on the Mount. And he preached it on a number of occasions throughout his three-year ministry. And the occasion in which we're looking at here in Luke chapter 6, it's a shorter version. He had the elders must have come to him and said he preached too long and uh, that attendance was dropping and so he needed to squeeze it in. No, he didn't. He, but he preached it differently than he had before. And what we learn within his preaching really comes from verse 20 when he said, blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Jesus cared a lot about the kingdom. He spent a great deal of time speaking about the kingdom. And so my hope and prayer this morning, as we approach his word, and as we listen to the sermon, and my own heart listens to these things, that we would understand the severity of the nature of what we're dealing with. We aren't dealing with Christ introducing a possible alternative that we can add to our existing kingdom. We aren't approaching a king who says, it's okay to have me and someone else rule in your life. We're approaching a king who says, I am either your king or I am not. And I will return again one day. And I, in my justice, no mercy at that point, but in justice will reign and will rule and destroy all those who are of another kingdom. And so it is imperative, as James says, for all of us, while we live, it is destined for us to die and to be judged. And so while we live and breathe and have our being, we have opportunity to see the true kingdom and move, as it were, our allegiances to the true king. And it's important in Advent that we don't miss the severity of the message in the midst of the glitter and the gloss of Christmas time. It's great to go buy gifts. It's great to sing carols and bake cookies and eat foods and break diets and do all the things and move towards a New Year's resolution to do all those things differently next year. But in the midst of the joy, in the midst of the celebration, in the midst of it all, there is a severe message that says this, which kingdom are you in? Who is your king? And Jesus came, and I'll begin in verse 17 of Luke's gospel, and it says, he came down with them, that is from the mountain, he came down and stood on a level place with a great crowd of his disciples and a great multitude of people from all Judea, Jerusalem and the seacoast of Tyre and Sidon who came to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. And those who were troubled with unclean spirits were cured. And all the crowd sought to touch him, for power came out from him and healed them all. 
And he lifted up his eyes on his disciples and he said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you shall be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you and when they exclude you and revile you and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, for behold, your reward is great in heaven, for so their fathers did to the prophets. But woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. Woe to you who are full now, for you shall be hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. Woe to you when all people speak well of you, for so their fathers did to the prophets. This is the word of the Lord. May he add his blessing to the reading and to the hearing of it. Amen. It's interesting how humanity is fascinated with wars, kingdoms in conflict, uh, the clash, as it were, uh, of titans, that we're drawn to the great stories the stories of Tolkien and of Lewis, the stories of evil coming into Middle-earth and reestablishing its claim and the battle for the hearts of the people and the battle for the peace of the world that was there, that, that cosmic battle that's taking place. Lewis taking the same story, a little different in the Chronicles of Narnia, but that picture of how winter and evil had set in on Narnia Uh, And how there was the need of a redeemer, uh, the need of the true king, Aslan, to enter back in and through uh, his rule in the kingdom, uh, that there was going to be life given again, that winter would fade uh, away and that eternal spring would spring forth in the presence of the true king. That you read the novels and you watch the shows of, of Game of Thrones or the, or the history channel of all of the movements of kingdoms around the world. Why is that? Well, I think part of it is because we have been born into a world at conflict. We have been born into both a human world, the physical world that is at conflict, but we are also born into a cosmic reality that is at conflict. That we recognize that there is a battle of kingdoms taking place. The scriptures are filled with that. That there's the battle of good versus evil. Of Christ's kingdom versus the kingdom of this present evil age. And it's as if the plates of the earth as they bang into one another. And there's that seismic shift that reverberates uh, across its surface. That is reverberating within our souls. We know something's not right. We can see it every single day as you read the news, as you watch uh, life going on around you. And so it's important for us in this Advent season that our King has come to understand His kingdom, what it looks like, what it's about. And so the first thing that we're going to do is answer this question. Why is kingdom theology important at all? Why is it important for you to have a theology of the kingdom of heaven. This isn't going to be a full discourse on kingdom theology. We don't have time to do that. It would take a great deal of time. But it's important to understand Christ's kingdom and his understanding of the kingdom. The word kingdom appears 157 times in the New Testament. 124 of those are in the Gospels themselves. So 124 of the 157 mentions of kingdom happen within the Gospels, the story of Jesus' public ministry. 
And within those Gospels, mainly Matthew, Mark, and Luke, not John so much, kingdom of God is mentioned 53 times. And in Matthew's Gospel, 32 times it says kingdom of heaven. Jesus, when he appeared on the scene, said the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Christ cared about the kingdom. He was all about kingdom ministry. George Ladd wrote this, and he said, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. This theme of the coming of the kingdom of God was central to Christ's mission. His teaching was designed to show men how they might enter the kingdom of God. His mighty works were intended to prove the kingdom of God had come to them in power. His parables illustrated to his disciples the truth about the kingdom of God. And when he taught his followers to pray, at the heart of their petition were the words, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. On the eve of his death, he assured his disciples that he would yet share with them the happiness and fellowship of the kingdom. And he promised that he would appear again on the earth in glory to bring the blessedness of the kingdom to those for whom it was prepared. So here's a simple question for you. If the kingdom... And a proper understanding of the kingdom was important to Jesus. Finish what I'm about to say. Then it's probably important to us. If Jesus' public ministry was primarily about the establishment of his kingdom, about how you enter into his kingdom, about the rule and the reign of his kingdom about what his kingdom is like in this world and what it will be like when he returns. If it's important to Jesus, then it is important to us or should be important to us. But I imagine for many, many of you here, you've done very little, if any, study on the kingdom of God at all. It's not that interesting. It's complex, maybe. It's challenging. It's all of these different things. But I would encourage you, do a study and look at kingdom. And what you're going to find about the kingdom and the importance of the kingdom is this, very simply, there are only two kingdoms. There aren't more than two kingdoms. Paul says in Colossians 3, verse 1, for he, that is Christ, rescued us from the dominion, the kingdom of darkness, and he brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves. That Christ brought us, God the Father, brought us out of the dominion, the kingdom of darkness, and brought us into the kingdom of the Son whom He loves. So what that tells us is this. Here's a great biblical theological truth that you need to know. There's no Switzerland in the Bible. You are not neutral. You cannot stand outside of the fray and say, I'm not going to choose an allegiance today. If you say, I will not choose an allegiance, you have already chosen an allegiance. You are saying my allegiance remains with the current kingdom, uh, the current administration I'm very happy with. They give me a lot of freedom. Uh, It's a mess sometimes, but I like the current administration because guess who's at the top of the current administration? You are. And I am when we want to be in that kingdom. We like to rule. We want to be in charge. And Jesus is saying, no, there's only two kingdoms. Either you're in my kingdom or you're not. And then what we need to understand about these kingdoms is that these kingdoms currently reside simultaneously. That there is the already, as it were, and the not yet. 
That Christ came and he established his kingdom. That the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, has been established within the world. And we who are followers of Jesus Christ are part of that kingdom. We are naturalized, as it were, into his kingdom. But yet, the kingdom of darkness still remains. Romans says this, The night is far spent and the day is at hand. Live as in the light. What he's saying is this, the light is beginning to shine. The kingdom has been established. You're citizens of that, but it's like the morning light that comes. When you're out and the dawn begins to break, there's still darkness and light simultaneously within the world. And it's the same way spiritually. But he says, but we are to live as if we're in the kingdom of light. That we're drawn to the light. We're not deceived by the darkness to back into it, to be drawn back and sucked back into it. But he says that we live in this, as it were, somewhat of a duality. We know that we're citizens of the kingdom, but we're influenced still by the kingdom of this world. And what we know about that is that these kingdoms that are here in this world, they're in conflict. Any of you feel the conflict in your own life? It's a raging battle. That is there. And Paul said this. Be strong in the Lord. And in the strength of his might. Put on the full armor of God. That you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. The assaults. uh, The war plans. uh, The tactics of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. But against rulers. Against the authorities. Against the cosmic powers. Over this present darkness. Against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand, stand firm, therefore. He's saying you're in the midst of a battle. These kingdoms are in a battle. And you need to understand that the battle is raging and that the evil one has one target and one target in mind. And that's your heart. That's why in Proverbs it says, guard your heart with all vigilance. Guard it, it is valuable, for from it flow the streams of life, and the evil one wants to take your heart. He wants to assault your heart. He wants to assault the hearts of your children, of your spouse, of your friends, of those around. He's coming, and that's the assault. And we need to be aware of this, that he has an object and he has a mission statement. Your enemy has a mission statement. You know that, right? And it's very clear and it's very concise. It is to kill, to steal, and to destroy. It's not a neutral kingdom, and he's not a neutral king. He's not a nice, sweet despot sitting up above going, hey, how can I bless the world? It's how can I deceive them so that I can win their hearts? But here's what you need to know about these kingdoms. One of them already won. One king is already victorious, and they will make war on the lamb, but the lamb shall overcome. Revelation 17, looking at this picture. They will make war on the Lamb, and the Lamb will conquer them, for He is the Lord of lords, the King of kings, and those with Him are called chosen and faithful. Isn't that awesome to know the end of the story? Really? I'm not breaking something to you that you shouldn't already know, folks. He wins. He's won. You're victorious if you're aligned with Him. That's good news. Isn't it nice to know who wins in the end? If you were going to lay money uh, on the Super Bowl, wouldn't it be nice to already know who wins? That'd be a sure bet, right? You wouldn't go, wow, I was lucky. No, you were prudent. 
It was a good investment strategy to know who wins and put all your money on it. It is not faith decision only. It is a prudent, wise decision to align yourself with the king who's already won. Who would want to align themselves with the loser? You know, Bill, I know that the outcome of the Super Bowl is going to be that the Panthers miraculously get into the playoffs and then they make a run all the way and they're going to win. And I know that, and I'm convinced of that, and I've seen the score because I've looked through the portals of time, and I see that they win, but I'm laying all my money uh, on some other team. The loser. Well, that's not a prudent or wise. That's actually quite stupid. We know the end of the story, folks. Jesus says, don't be a fool. And yes, children, don't say stupid. (laughs) Mom and Dad, you can explain why I said it. How about this? Don't be foolish. Jesus says, don't be the fool. Only a fool places his life in allegiance with a king who's already lost. So here's what you need to know or ask this question. Where does your citizenship lie today? Where does your allegiance lie today? Because folks, you're not promised tomorrow. If anything that I'm learning and continue to learn in my life and in my profession is that this week a good friend, David Lively, went in simply to have a simple procedure to fix a little something on a defibrillator in his chest. And now he's battling stomach cancer and an infection that could possibly take his life at MUSC. It's important today to know who your king is. Don't face God and go, shoot! Meant to do that? Sorry, can you give me a a little more time? A little dispensation more? No, he can't and he won't. There's only two kingdoms and they're at war. And you need to know which kingdom you're in. So you say now, okay, I'm a part of the kingdom of heaven. I want to be a part of the kingdom of heaven. So now let's look for a moment at a picture of what kingdom life looks like. And it's best to understand it in contrast to the current kingdom that's here. The kingdom of darkness. You see, there's a pattern, there are values, there's a culture that's in, and Jesus presents it in the Sermon on the Mount. He says this, when he says, woe to you who are rich, in verse 24, he's saying, wealth and prosperity are a value of the current kingdom and the current administration of this world. Woe to you who are full now. Deep satisfaction uh, in this life, having everything that you want in this life, that's a value of this kingdom that's here now. Woe to you who laugh now. And you're going, Bill, shouldn't we laugh? That's not the right word. The translation of the word is mock or sneer. Those of you in in this life who have a condescending attitude to those who are around you because they're below you, that you know that you're part of this kingdom. Those are the values of this kingdom. Woe to you who, when people speak well of you, ah, that reputation is one of your values. You have to have people like you. You're an approval vacuum You walk into a room and suck approval out of everybody that comes near you. He's saying those are the values of this kingdom. Strength, knowledge, power, wealth, prestige, self-determination, self-gratification. He's saying that's the kingdom that is here in this world. But Jesus comes to present a different kingdom. You recognize that Jesus isn't presenting a tweak of the current administration. He's not not entering into Congress a bill that will modify the current rule and reign. He is coming in as an absolute revolutionary 
who is coming in and establishing a new kingdom with an incredibly new value system, and the citizens of that kingdom are aligned upon it. And he says, here's what it looks like. It looks like poverty of spirit. It looks like meekness. It takes peacemaking to be a high priority. My kingdom is filled uh, with people who aren't the top. When he says uh, that wealth is a part of this kingdom in this world, he couldn't mean that there was no wealth because you saw like Matthew the tax collector. Matthew the tax collector was an incredibly wealthy man. So he wasn't talking about, about human wealth per se. What he's saying was, are you poor in spirit? Do you recognize that you bring nothing to the table? Citizens of my kingdom recognize that they have no value uh, other than what I give to them. That they don't add something to the kingdom per se. That we enter in, that the, that the values of this kingdom are totally upside down, as theologians call it. It's the upside down kingdom. It inverts the kingdom of this world. Those who this world see as on the bottom, the kingdom of heaven sees as on top. That's important to understand, by the way. Because if your goal in life is to be seen on top of this culture, be very careful where you're found in the kingdom of heaven. You're aiming at the wrong things. See, this Christ kingdom and the values and the patterns of his kingdom, they also say something like this, thy will be done. You pray that prayer when we say the Lord's Prayer, right? Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You ever thought about that? How his will is done in heaven? Is it done like it is here? Well, God, let me talk to a few more angels. Just want to get a little collaborative on here, see if we can get consensus on whether that's a good idea or not. Or, God, I'm busy right now. I'll get to your will later. Uh, I'm doing some other things over here, but I will... No, his will in heaven is done immediately, and and it it is done perfectly. And we're praying, thy will be done in my life here. Thomas Watson, the wonderful uh, preacher and pastor, wrote these words, that when you pray that prayer, you're really praying two things. And by the way, this again is using that word, the severity of what you're praying. Listen. Thy will be done. Jesus is telling you to pray two things. One, you are praying that you might be diligent, might do diligently all he commands. Most of you go, yeah, I got that. That we would do diligently all that he commands. But listen to the second one. That you also might submit patiently to all he inflicts. That you'd be willing to do all that he demands diligently. But you would also be willing to patiently submit to all that he inflicts. Thy will be done. Father, you've set me aside. Thy will be done. You've made me low. Thy will be done. I have cancer. Thy will be done. I'm single and want to be married. Thy will be done. I'm married and want to have children and we can't. Thy will be done. Father, thy will be done. You've called me to this. Thy will be done. Outside of my bedroom door, there's a prayer by John Wesley and it goes like this. I'm no longer my own, but thine. Put me to what thou wilt. Rank me with whom thou wilt. Put me to doing, put me to suffering. Let me be employed for thee or laid aside for thee. Let me be full, let me be empty. Let me have all things, let me have nothing. I freely and heartily yield all things to thy pleasure and disposal. And now, O glorious and blessed God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, Thou art mine and I am Thine, so be it. And the covenant which I have made on earth, let it be ratified in heaven. Amen.
outside my door of my bedroom because I need to be reminded every single day of coming in and going out, not my will be done, but thy will be done. And if that means putting me up or putting me low, of taking me out or using me however, whatever it is, God, I come. Those are the things, those are the values in the culture of this kingdom that he's introduced us into and brought us into. So, again, the question becomes, which kingdom are you a part of? The kingdom of the world? The kingdom of heaven? And so let's say you're still tracking with me and you go, hey, I'm part of the kingdom of heaven. I want to be a part of the kingdom of heaven. Uh, I see that. I'm entering into that through Christ. How do I have the power now to live? How do I have the power to pray that prayer and make it more than just a recitation of words on a canvas? What is it now that I'm tapped into? And Jesus says this in verse 19. It's such a key verse in this passage. And all the crowd sought to touch him. For power came out from him and healed their Everybody was around him and said, we need to touch him. We need to organically connect ourselves to him because that's where the power comes from. It's not one of these crazy cosmic pictures that Jesus is on a mountain and people are putting their hands out and there's zaps of lightning entering into their life that he just went. That's not the Jesus we're talking about. Jesus says, I'm the vine. And you have to be engrafted into me. You have to touch me. You have to take your hand and see it grow into my very life. You have to see your life now come in and be grafted into my life. That you take my yoke upon you. That you now come unto me. And when you attach yourself to Christ, when we have the big theological words, united with Christ, union with Christ, you are in Christ. Christ is in you, the hope of glory. It says now that you're connected in that. And guess what begins flowing into your life? Christ. The very power of the second person of the Trinity. In all of His power. In all of His glory. In all of His dominion. But in all of His meekness. In all of His gentleness. In all of His ability to be long-suffering and to allow those men and women to spit upon Him and to beat Him and to curse Him and to deride Him. That power floods into your life. The power to walk up to a leper and touch Him and go, I'm going to love you even though the rest of the world doesn't love you. The power to go up to the Samaritan woman and say to her, you're valuable and you have dignity even though our culture says you don't. That power floods into your life. The power to say, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. That power to forgive people floods into your life. But only if you're connected to the true vine. Does that make sense? Too many of you and too many of us stand back and we want to put our hands out and hope that between this distance, we don't want to get too close to Jesus, that somehow he'll zap us with a little bit of it. He says, no, 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 you have to come to me. You have to come. And you have to find your life in me. You have to be hidden in me. That's where the power comes from, folks. So if you want to see this power, you can't look at Jesus simply as a model or an example. He has to be your life. We see him and we recognize this about him. He says, you want to understand how to be set aside? I was set aside by my father. I was crushed. I was bruised. I was destroyed by him. 
And I'm giving you the thing which I didn't have. And that was his pleasure at that moment. I'm giving you his pleasure. I received his displeasure so that you receive his pleasure. I lost my standing so that you could have standing. I lost my life so that you could have life. Everything that we possibly need are in him and through him. But we have to go to him in that. That we have to find in him that he is our power. Some of you, and I love you and I say this lovingly, some of you are tired. And Paul says, don't grow tired of doing good. And I think part of the reason that so many people are tired and they're frustrated and there's a bitterness uh, in the midst of it is because you're plugged into the wrong power source. Jesus is saying, come to me. Let me be your power. Come to me, all you who are weak and heavy laden, and take my yoke upon you. Do you understand what that means when he says, take my yoke upon you? He says this, I'm going to yoke myself with your burden. My shoulders are a lot bigger than your shoulders. My life is a lot stronger than your life. My power is a lot stronger than your power. But you have to come to me. You have to be weak, meek. You have to recognize that you don't have it in yourself. And that is so contrary to our culture and to the kingdom of this world. It says if you want power, admit you don't have it and that you need it. Come to him in that way. And then what happens at the end? He says that he creates this entirely new kingdom community. He says, now I'm taking all of you who are aligned with me that are in my kingdom and I'm bringing you together as an incredibly powerful force uh, that together in this world, you are assaulting the kingdom of darkness. You recognize that you are a threat to the kingdom of darkness, right? I get tired on Sunday afternoons, guys. You're sitting. Come on, I'm standing. No, you realize you're a threat to the king of this world. And you know what he wants to do with you? He wants to destroy you. And you know what? You can't make it through this life on your own. You need the community of believers around you. I spoke with somebody recently who said, hey, would you pray for my marriage? Nothing more than that. And I was glad that they asked me to pray for their marriage. But I wanted to go further. I said, hey, would you like to talk about whatever's going on? Maybe that would be helpful. No, I don't think it's appropriate or prudent to speak of private matters. Well, good luck with that marriage. Because you can't do it on your own. You need other people in it with you. That's why when we are connected to the vine, guess who else we're connected to? One another. Look around for a moment. You're connected with these people. This group of knuckleheads that's right here uh, in, in this place, you're connected one to another through Jesus Christ. And when he brings together all of these parts which have their brokenness and all of their messiness and all of their bad decisions, he brings them together for his glory. He says this, I change the world through you. I change history and eternity through the church of Jesus Christ in the world. John Calvin said this, there's no salvation outside of the church. And what he meant by that was saying this, the church is of absolute essential nature for the kingdom of God to expand. 
Part of why we hired Chris Bowen is to establish another church in Bluffton. And after we've established that church, we want to establish another church in Hardyville. And after we've established that church, we'll find out where there's some more people who need to hear about Jesus, and we'll establish another church. And that's why I sit with Peter File all the time. And we talk about how can we spend all of God's generous money through his people so we can partner on college campuses to see people come to faith and establish kingdom there and to see them around the world in Japan and in South America and in Africa and all over because we believe that the community of faith goes out and just like in Jeremiah 29, it says this, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, to all the exiles, build your houses, live in them, plant gardens, eat of their produce, take wives, uh, do all of this, seek the welfare of the city where I've sent you into exile, pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare, you will find your welfare. Thus says the Lord of hosts. He's saying, hey, for a while, I've got you here. And while you are here, Represent the kingdom in power. Love your neighbors as yourself. Love those who are marginalized. Recognize that you represent the king of the universe in how we live. I see your Facebook posts, but it doesn't matter if I see them. The watching world sees social media. And it goes, Oh, you're a follower of Jesus Christ in that kingdom? We represent him. Every bit of our lives represents him in this world. And sometimes here's what I need. I need you to come alongside me and go, Bill, you're out of line. Peter got out of line in Galatians when he practiced racism and saying, I'm not going to hang out with the Gentiles. And Pete and Paul loved him enough to say, hey, your life is out of line with the gospel. Folks, we live in community. I'm going to wrap up here. We live in this community because I need you You need me, iron sharpening iron, to say, hey, these are the values of our king. This is the life. We need folks to come around the Dave Livelies and the widows uh, and the orphans and and to those who've lost loved ones and those who are facing difficulty and those who are caregivers. Some of you are caregivers and you're loving your loved ones well, but you need the body of Christ to come around you and say, don't lose heart. I'll lift up your arms. Don't lose heart. I'm praying for you. Don't lose heart. I I know it's tough being a single mom. I'll bring you dinner tonight. Don't lose heart. That's what the kingdom life and community is all about. And we go out into this culture and people say, what in the world? And we pray and we evangelize and we share Christ in our lives. So here's the question for you today. Which kingdom are you in? And if you're not in the kingdom of heaven, if you're not aligned with Christ, are you willing today to switch your allegiance? Because it's very simple to do. To simply pray, God, today, Christ is my king. I accept him and his completed work on my behalf. And I enter in through him. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your goodness to us. Thank you that we have a king who reigns Thank you, we have a king unlike any other king and a kingdom unlike any other kingdom. And though it can be challenging at times, I pray uh, that we we would see and receive the power from you to live in this life, that we would be able to do what you've called us to do, and that we would see many people come to faith to enter into this kingdom. Father, protect our hearts from the evil one and the assaults of our enemy. And when we see the enemy beating on one of our own, would we, instead of judge, draw near to them and pray for them and help them up and bind their wounds and lead them back to the true king to find life and hope in him. 
Father, we give you praise today. And we sing these songs to you. For as the angels heralded years ago, glory to the newborn King. Amen. Let's stand and sing.